With so many companies moving their workloads, what used to be in the data center, onto public clouds, they are constantly looking to optimize their investment. But sometimes the steps they take end up being misaligned with their plans, their budgets, or their security strategies. And this, of course, creates an ocean of confusion about what is the right cloud path to take, and more importantly, how to know that you're doing it right, both now and into the future. Hello and welcome to the Cloud Tweaks podcast, where we look at developments and stories dealing with cloud, cybersecurity, and other areas of business tech. I'm your host, Steve Prentice. On this episode, I am pleased to welcome Asim Razak, who is CEO of Yotta Scale, so he can share his experience and expertise on this constantly evolving sector of business technology. Yachtascale helps companies like Zoom, Hulu, and Compass manage their public cloud resources by empowering engineering teams with accurate cost visibility, actionable recommendations, and collaborative workflows. Asim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Before we talk directly about the economics and benefits of effective cloud management overall, I want to start by asking you, about a piece of cloud technology that often flies under the radar, and that's the concept of its carbon footprint. Perhaps you could start by telling us a little about Yachtascale and how important the carbon footprint consideration is in an overall cloud strategy. Yeah, so Yachtascale uh, helps companies uh, optimize their uh, public cloud uh, infrastructure. So think about um, the fact that a lot of companies are moving their workloads, which used to be in the data center, and there's a lot of cloud-first companies into public cloud like AWS, GCP, and Azure. And with that, we have entered this era of OPEX versus CAPEX, right? So you, you rent these machines, you rent these resources, and there's a lot of wastage, right, as a result of that. There's economic wastage, and we're also very passionate about the carbon footprint wastage part of it. So we help companies run their workloads really efficiently on a public cloud. Uh, so the price performance ratio is the, it's the best that they can get, which, which goes back to their uh, uh, bottom line. So uh, margins, profitability, and uh, cost of goods sold, a lot of those business KPIs are able to achieve by leveraging a product like Euroscale. The carbon footprint concept, I mean, I hear a lot about carbon footprint, especially when it comes to data mining and crypto, but what are we looking at in comparison to, let's say, other industries like diesel pollution and trucking pollution and so forth? What is the carbon footprint impact that you're saving by doing this? Yeah, we're we're in the early days of that because for the carbon footprint for digital infrastructure, there still needs to be a lot more visibility. That is a vision and passion of Euroscale, like down the road in our product that we want to do, but we still want to profess that, right? That we want to make people aware that the wastage that they have is not just an economic wastage, right? There is also the sustainability part of the equation. And I'll just give you an example. Like uh, one of the cloud providers, Google, uh, they recently launched this initiative where now they're surfacing the uh, carbon-free energy percentage for the different regions that their wor- the workloads could run into. So, so this gives uh, the ability for companies to have trade-offs to say, look, I can run it cleaner in this region or in this particular zone for Google Cloud, as opposed to some of the uh, some of the other zones, and the challenge is is clearly that because it's not visible, the carbon footprint, uh, the digital infrastructure is like a modern day smokestack, if you will. Right? It used to be the employee to server carbon footprint would be the same, like as much carbon footprint an employee is causing would be one server, and now it's hundreds, thousands of servers to one employee. Right? So you can imagine where the big challenge is this day and age. 
So I think we're we're in the early days of this when it comes to digital infrastructure. There is uh, more consciousness around this. As I said, uh, Google has done that. And the opportunity for a product like Euroscale is to, this is something, as I said, we want to do down the road, is not just provide the economic trade-off, but also the carbon footprint trade-off and incentivize people because people might not sometimes care about dollar amounts, right? But they might care about the planet. And I think that's the that's the goal. But in, in the meantime, we, we do want to profess to these companies that have this digital infrastructure in public cloud that do bring that aspect, that consciousness to your teams. The fact that wastage is not just about economics, but it is also about sustainability. Yeah, the world has or is trying to turn a corner towards sustainability and more sort of global responsibilities. The spending on public cloud services is forecasted to grow substantially, of course, and this has led to costs getting out of control. But the good news is that controlling cloud costs is well within the capabilities of most organizations. So you are here to tell us about you know, how a thoughtful cloud cost control approach can help boost profits and benefit the planet. So first of all, why is cloud cost management so difficult? Yeah, so just a little more color on that right is that now a public cloud spend item is becoming the second most critical item after payroll for a lot of companies right so there is there is real uh, ramifications of not making it efficient and then um, you quoted the the figures uh, through the pandemic we've seen an amazing uptick in cloud adoption right it's only accelerated because people have had to deploy the digital strategies much faster than they thought Right, just to stay competitive from a business point of view. So what makes it challenging is a number of things, right? So one is that we have this advent of new architectures, right? So we have Kubernetes containers, and the adoption of that was not as much three or five years ago, but they're being adopted at a pretty fast rate. So these technologies allow you flexibility, right? You can deploy things faster. There's a lot of shared infrastructure concepts. There are things like microservices you can put out there. But all of this makes understanding where the money is going very, very hard and basically understanding who owns what portion of the money that's being spent hard. And hence, that accountability part is difficult, right? That's number one. Uh, number two is that every company has to contextualize their cloud spend based on their own business, right? So there are companies that think about product lines, like how do I connect the dots between the products that I have? Some companies think about features. Some companies think about cost of goods sold. Because if they can save the cost per customer, right, that goes back to the bottom line. So every company has a unique way of looking at this cost and contextualizing the cost is hard, right? Because if you think about product, business lines, services, like how do you make sure you understand the cost of those units in this new world where things are moving so fast and they're so transient, right? And then a lot of the techniques that are out there today, which are mostly coming from generation one cost management products are very manual. So it's, you have millions of resources, right? And I call it death by tagging, which is like you tag every single resource correctly and then you can generate pretty reports. Well, the bottom line is that in any modern infrastructure that is moving at a certain pace, that's very, very hard to do, right? And nobody can get this right. So, you know, there are elements of making sure that this gets very automated, the level of sophistication to help customers connect the resources back to their enterprise context, as I mentioned. And then there are barriers to teamwork, right? So we... We feel that in, in some cases, this tends to be a more of a finance-oriented initiative. So the finance team is caring a lot more about cost, and they're just looking at the engineering team to magically you know, make things better or different. But there needs to be a communication between the key stakeholders, whether it's finance, budget owners, engineering, DevOps team, 
And uh, that communication, a lot of times is happening out of band, right? Pre-pandemic, this would be in the hallways, right? Like, well, I told you somebody owns an analytics service, finances, well, you know, there's a lot of recommendations, there's a lot of waste based on the report that I ran from this Gen 1 product that you could basically drive efficiencies. Then they have to do hours of research, go back to them and say, look, part of this is my backup failover cluster. There's all these reasons, right? And those are all out of band, like this emails or pre-pandemic hallway conversations, things of that nature. So there has to be a system that is agreed upon between the different parties to say, what does efficiency mean? And how much waste do we have agreed upon? And what are the actions we're going to take? That's the other aspect. And then finally, like a key ethos for us is engineering empowerment. So a lot of times engineering teams end up feeling disempowered because they're being thrown these reports, right? That don't have a lot of context. And, you know, they have to deploy workloads. They have to worry about performance. They have to worry about security. They have to worry about reliability. And now there's this new entrant, which is cost. So like they have to go understand all of these resources, how do they work, and understand exactly what portion of it is that they can affect, right? So if not, if they're not getting the right data on what they own and what they should be accountable for, they write off a lot of these initiatives, right? And they're like, look, whatever you're telling me doesn't make sense, right? Because you're asking me to make changes in my system that are not going to lead to better performance or better reliability, right? And I don't, in a lot of cases, I don't even own most of the costs you are uh, attributing to me. So I think those are some of the key challenges that makes this complex. Like in anything, there's people, technology, and process pieces, right, that, that, that are in play. Hosting for the Clouds Weeks podcast is brought to you by ISC Squared, the world's largest nonprofit association of certified cybersecurity professionals. ISC Squared membership of more than 150,000 is made up of certified cyber, information, software, and infrastructure security professionals who are making a difference and helping to advance the industry. ISC Squared offers a portfolio of credentials that are part of a holistic, programmatic approach to cybersecurity. Visit isc2.org to continue your journey and get certified today. So it sounds like a, an increasing degree of uh, literacy and sophistication in the, the management of data, and that's a very interesting concept. That identifies why it has been so difficult in the past and some of your very proactive initiatives in, in making it more efficient and more understandable. And very interesting sort of side comment about the lack of hallway interaction. You know, as we're seeing as a side concept here, some of the impacts of people having to work um, you know, from their homes in this pandemic situation. It's interesting to observe that kind of creativity or opportunity or the opportunity cost that this has caused in, in not being physically available to discuss these things. So can we add to that any additional challenges you have in achieving cloud cost optimization? Yeah. So it's a, one is culture, right? Uh, so you have to have a culture. We believe that the culture has to be a culture of empowerment, right? So engineers... You have to treat cost as a first-class citizen, so you treat performance that way, you treat security that way, you treat reliability that way, right? So what we've observed is that company cultures where it's a lot more command and control, which is it is a central group that is the one that makes all the decisions and basically takes a stick approach to engineers and beats them up when you know they're out of budget and all that. And there are there are companies like that, right? Is is not it's not a very uh, it's not very conducive to driving change and efficiencies, right? And, and we believe in a culture of, again, empowerment that uh, equip people with the right data, right, at the right time and, and the right actions that they can take that are implementable, 
right? Don't insult their intelligence by stuff that is not possible to do or is not relevant to their world, right? That's another one. And then it's about trade-offs, right? So everything in life ends up being about trade-offs. So it's not like you can cut your cost down to zero by shutting down all the servers, right? <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to do that. So you have to make a trade-off between performance, reliability, cost. And I think trusting engineers and putting at their fingertips in the context of their services and applications, these trade-offs is important. And if it's that's missing, and if it's like, look, you can save a bunch of money on your memcache server, as an example, right? Because the CPU utilization is low. Well, you know what? In a memcache server, it's going to be very memory bound. So I don't really care about CPU utilization. So what, what is the trade-off you're asking me to make? And there are other trade-offs where a lot of times engineering and DevOps teams are worried about, just quite frankly, they'll get into a lot of trouble if the system goes down. They'll get into some trouble if the system is a little too expensive, right? That's kind of the bottom line. So how do you give them the optionality to say, here are two or three different actions you can take, recommendations, if you will. In one case, you have a lot of headroom. You have a lot of buffer for performance and you can save less money. But in another case, you have less headroom and you can save more money. But you make the trade-off because you have the most amount of context. We can equip you with two or three options. I think those are the ones. And then finally, as I mentioned, attribution is important because a lot of times there is this ecosystem of data that you have to bring into the mix. And what I mean by that is that there are surrounding tools like your APM systems that have performance and memory data, right? There are logging tools. There is directory services like ServiceNow and others that have hierarchy and ownership data. So the list goes on and on, which helps with respect to what the context is. So a lot of these simple-minded tools, if you will, they just don't look at it in the context of all of this. CICD tools like Spinnaker and others that divide things by sort of deployment and workloads. Some of that stuff has to be integrated and brought into the mix to have the right context of, you know, okay, this workload makes sense to optimize and the attribution is correct. So I think those are some additional challenges that, that make it increasingly difficult for teams to uh, do a good job at it. In the introduction, you were saying about so much of this is uh, not only about improving processes, basically, but also having this global responsibility as well. So what principles can you identify the cost optimization that will help boost profits and benefit the planet at the same time? Yeah, so you can't, uh, you can't improve anything you can't measure, right? It starts with mm-hmm. visibility. So it, it is back to creating the visibility where we have had customers that do believe in this uh, concept of engineering empowerment, right? They want to make sure it's self-service accountable. So if a team owns a set of services or a product, they understand truly what the cost is and then they can take action, right? So in in these scenarios, when you provide these teams the visibility, they become very conscious of it. And if they believe and trust in the data, then they will take action. So in one case, we've we've saved a company like tens of millions of dollars because they they have a very high spend in AWS, as an example, just by providing the visibility and accuracy of data and enabling and empowering these teams. And I kind of mentioned this already that you have to treat cost as, a, as an important KPI at the end of the day, by which I mean this as an economic piece to it. And there is a, as I said, a carbon footprint piece to it. And you will see in the future more and more, again, we, we want to help innovate on this front uh, is, you know, what is that? What is that footprint? Like, is it three trees or, you know, because <laughs> everybody can relate to that on that emission. And then I would say it's, 
connecting the dots for these teams, right? So I believe I come from an engineering background, right? And it's a creative endeavor. And engineers at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you've read Daniel Pink's drive, right? It's about autonomy, purpose, mastery, right? So you have to connect it back to the higher purpose instead of saying, hey, you're over your budget, cut down your costs. If you don't, you know, ramifications. But if you understand what are the KPIs you want to drive, as an example, if I'm a business and every dollar that I can save in terms of a deployment for a customer, I can invest back into my business or I can save jobs. If I explain that to my engineering team and help them connect the dots back to how they're helping um, reduce the cost of goods sold, then they will be a lot more incentivized, right? Because that's a higher level purpose. And also giving them autonomy to say, hey, here are the parameters within which you need to operate in your service. Here's a range of budget that you should operate within. And how you do that, it's up to you. I'm not going to micromanage you, right? And the third one is mastery, right? That every engineer wants to get better at their craft. And helping engineers understand that if they can build systems more economically and sustainably efficient, they're actually building rare and valuable skills that are going to make them a lot more relevant in the industry. And so incentivize them to learn that craft. I mean, I did a webinar a little while ago with some of the engineering leaders, and we talked about how you could even have that in the interview process, right? Talk to people uh, when they build systems in the cloud, how did they make, how did they make it efficient? And I think that that uh, that connects all three key pillars of autonomy, mastery, and uh, purpose. And that creates a culture where you don't have to micromanage, you don't have to use a stick all the time, right? Everybody knows what their work is contributing towards in terms of efficiency and a better planet. So uh, here's the question about cost versus free. Why should I pay for a cloud governance tool when public cloud providers have alternatives that are free? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think all uh, cloud providers will always give you some uh, basic uh, capabilities, right? So I think if you have a simple deployment, right, you have, you're spending a few thousand dollars uh, per month, you don't have com complexity of teams, yeah, you don't have a very complex infrastructure, like you don't have cloud native and Kubernetes and microservices, right? And, and all you're looking for is basic understanding of your bill, like just slicing and dicing it. That's the level that we're at, at which you are. By all means, you know, use use these tools. I would even say save some money and don't buy a generation one product that kind of ends up doing something very similar, right? But if your if your needs start becoming beyond that, right, which is you have complexity of infrastructure, your scale is a lot larger, you have workloads that are running on Kubernetes and containers, you have microservices, and ultimately multi-cloud also becomes one entrant into this, right? So you have workloads in Azure, AWS, uh, GCP, and others. And you have complexity of teams, right? So it's not like there's one single team that owns one workload. And if you just slice and dice it, you're good to go, right? You could have dozens of teams that are working on many different parts of the product. And then finally, how do you connect the dots back to your enterprise? How do you connect the dots about how you think about cost? And that's where you have to integrate with a lot of subsystems that are doing, uh, where you can get system metrics, where you can get hierarchy and ownership metrics, right? And you can overlay a lot of that. So if, if it is about really driving the health of your business, right? Focusing on the profitability, empowering your engineering teams, driving a culture of self-service accountability, then a Yoda skill can be, in a, can be a really good fit at that scale and complexity. But it's, it's very, very basic. The, in fact, we, we can sometimes walk away from a customer who's very, very early, right? And they don't need a lot of slicing and dicing. They're very early in the journey in cloud. And 
those tools have a place for that. I mean, at the end of the day, you get what you pay for is, is something I say all the time. Absolutely. Are there industry-specific challenges to cloud cost management we should talk about? Yeah, there are, right? So there are, if you are a media service, like um, a video streaming service, like a Hulu or you know Zoom or, or somebody like that, then the network cost is going to be very important to you. So you have to focus a lot in terms of the IO cost, the network IO cost. And additionally, there are specific metrics, right? So for a video streaming provider, it's more about the cost of every frame delivered, right? That's the bottom line. Or for like a Zoom, it could be the cost of the recording feature, things of that nature. Some of the other could be around file sharing. So if you're a Dropbox or Box or somebody like that, right, your storage costs will be a pretty big portion of your total cloud costs. So you have to think about storage cost and how do you tier data a lot, right? That becomes increasingly important. I'm not saying storage cost is not going to be important in other domains, but I'm saying there are some domains that some of these things are more important than others. If you are a very machine learning, AI, ML type company, then compute because you're running these models, right? And they are very compute intensive. A lot of times they can be very memory intensive. So I think that might be an important function of... um, the biggest signal in terms of what your cloud cost is. So so definitely, depending on the kind of industry you're in, the kind of product that you are building, you might be more sensitive to certain types of resources that are being leveraged as opposed to others. It's a great summary of some very timely wisdom. Um, and I've really enjoyed listening to what you are describing. So is there anything else you'd like to uh, include in the podcast? Any other message or concept for our listeners? Yeah, I think I'll just uh, reiterate the two points. One is back to uh, empower your engineering teams, enable them, and uh, make this a collaborative effort and have a culture of cloud costs. I mean, Euroscale, obviously, it's self-serving. It's it's a really good product and tool that can help, but it's it can't do everything. Right? If you don't have the right culture, then you know the, the product can only do so much. And the second one is, as I said, increasingly, even though we are early in terms of providing the visibility and the carbon footprint when it comes to digital infrastructure, mm-hmm. be cognizant of that, right? Leave the planet a better place. So think about not just the dollar amount, right? But also think about as you save this money, their incentives are aligned, right? A lot Sometimes sustainability might go against the economic part of things, right? But in this case, if you make things more efficient, you save money, but you also help make the planet a, a, a better place. And I think it's uh, it's incumbent upon us to ensure that that's also front and center, just not the economic benefit. So, as expected, a treasure trove of wisdom, not only just about the economics of cloud, but the vital elements of global ecological responsibility, workplace culture, and of course, sustainability and growth. Truly, some great lessons from an exemplary industry leader. And of course, you can find out more about Yodascale, including a demo and some great case studies at yodascale.com. That is spelt Y-O-T-A-S-C-A-L-E dot com. And of course, on Twitter, the same thing, at Yodascale. So Asim, thank you so much for joining us here today on the Cloudsweeks podcast. Thank you, Steve, and thank you for having me. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. And as for us, you can check us out at cloudsweeks.com and follow us on Twitter at cloudsweeks.com. 
If your company is looking for some great exposure to thousands of decision makers in the IT, cloud, and related industries worldwide, please get in touch. We can craft a campaign that will get you noticed through our website, social media, and newsletter channels, all of which enjoy substantial readership. So if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts and tell just one more person about us. Until next time, I'm Steve Prentice. Stay safe and thanks for listening.